0: Welcome back in, Brady Farka show here on this Thursday, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Short show today, we're up until 6-10, Red Sox-Rangers wrapping up a three-game set at Fenway. Old friend Nathan Evaldi on the mound for the Rangers as the Sox look for a series win. Joining us now is Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Buster, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. What's going on?
0: Our final talk before the All Star break. The Red Sox are back over 500 again at 44 and 43. And Brian Bayo, seven innings last night, doing things the Red Sox haven't seen from a young pitcher since Roger Clemens more than 30 years ago. He's been very impressive over the last month or so.
1: He really has been. You know, uh, before we had him on a Sunday Night Baseball game earlier this year. I asked some evaluators, you know, what do you see in him? And I was getting back, well, he's kind of a middle of the rotation, back end of the rotation type guy. Uh, and, you know, he's someone that's, you know, number three or number four. And I think he's demonstrating he's more than that. Uh, and not only because he has excellent stuff uh, with the way that he uses off speed to complement his sinker, but I also think the mound presence. I mean, it just jumps out at you when you see him pitch in person. This is someone with a ton of confidence. And I'm curious to see how he develops going forward. But, you know, in a season that I think, generally speaking, is shaping up to sort of be a lost year for the Red Sox, I think his emergence is probably the best thing that's happened.
0: You know, Buster, I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? I was a soft-tossing righty. I enjoy people who who pitch, right? Like, I enjoy people who know how to pitch and manipulate pitches and work the strike zone, et cetera. So I tend to not get too wrapped up in strikeout numbers. But we've been conditioned – to get wrapped up in strikeout numbers. And Bayo last night, only three strikeouts against the Rangers. He's only got 70 strikeouts and 80 innings this year. If I'm looking for him to become an ace in the future, should I be a little bit at least noticing that he's not getting big strikeout numbers like everybody else does?
1: No, uh, because the strikeout numbers, as you know, are just outsized right now in this era. Um, And and when you and I were growing up as kids, the idea that someone would have 70 strikeouts and 80 innings that would actually be okay. Huh. <laughs> you know, and teams have gravitated, the industry has gravitated toward high strikeout numbers because it means control for the pitcher. Um, it means that the pitcher is missing bats, which means there's a less chance that something bad is going to happen. But you know what? Uh, I think the way he pitches is great. The contact against him, and I don't have the data in front of me in terms of soft contact versus hard contact, but the guy clearly is causing problems for opposing hitters. And he seems to be growing it before our eyes. And I think he'll be fine as he moves forward.
0: Buster Red Sox came out with an interesting announcement yesterday, or Alex Cora did. They're going to start playing Justin Turner more often at second base, and this means a couple of different things to me, right? It means that it's really the best way to maximize their offense, and it kind of leads the way for Trevor Story to come in here as a DH when he's ready here, hopefully sometime end of July, early August or so. What would you make of the revelation that we're going to see 38-year-old Justin Turner playing a little more second base?
1: That you've got a manager who's trying to make chicken salad out of less than that. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, their offense has been an issue, as you know. And Justin Turner's had a really good season. He's been productive. They want to make sure they keep him on the field. But, you know, I talked to a couple evaluators last night about that idea. And I, I got to say, I got over the phone the, the equivalent of eye roll. Like, playing Justin Turner at second base, in their eyes, is is, you know, potentially an issue. But Alex, I'm, I'm guessing, and I haven't asked him specifically about this, I'm guessing he's going to wind up using Turner in situations where you don't have a ground ball pitcher on the mound, where his range at 38 is not going to be a factor. Uh, I know Alex, in, in recent years with defensive shifts, was really good at protecting uh, some infielders uh, by you know, stacking up a shift and, and not asking him to do too much. With the shift regulations, you can't do that as well. And so, you, you know, Justin Turner out at second base, you're probably going to see some balls that he's not going to be able to get to. And, and Alex knows the equation and the trade off that he's willing to make.
0: Buster, I asked Tom Karen of Nesson about this yesterday. I want to ask you about this, too, because you see this on a national level. So on on Monday, yeah, Monday, no, Tuesday, July 4th, we saw Jaron Duran, who was a seven for his last eight with six extra base hits, get pinch hit four against a lefty. And their Red Sox are down 6-1, to one, right? They're down 6-1 and Duran gets pinch hit for against the lefty. And they're really trying to keep him out of playing against lefties. And in that situation, that bothers me because I want to see if a young player can become an everyday player and play against both-handed pitchers. And I asked TC about it. I'll ask you. I understand the business is trying to optimize itself for success. And I understand they're trying to put everybody in the best positions to succeed. But how frustrated do players get that they get pigeonholed and not allowed to fully developed?
1: yeah it can be um, it definitely can be something that can be frustrating. I'll give you an example recently, you know J.D Davis when he was with the Mets, yeah uh, you know he was told like, look, we're, we're mostly going to use the outfield because we think you're terrible defensively. I mean that's obviously not exactly what they said, but they limited his time and, and so he felt frustrated with some of the choices that they made. Uh, and he goes to San Francisco uh, in a trade in the middle of last year. He begins to get regular reps, daily reps as a third baseman. Now he's really good, and it turned out he's a good player. And, by the way, it does feel like he's har- he harbors some anger about how he was treated. Um, you know, the Dodgers, when Andrew Freeman took over the baseball ops there, they tried to put in a system where they put in a lot of young players. Justin Turner was a part of that. And it took them six or seven years to get buy-in from players where the players would be like, okay, I get it. Tampa Bay Rays have the same thing. But there are definitely young players who don't like the way that that plays out because they feel like that the decision's been made that, you know what, you can't hit lefties. You know what, you can't hit righties. We're not going to give you the opportunity to do that. And you and I both know this, players make adjustments all the time. They can change. But a lot of the modern analytics and how they evaluate players and how they draw up lineups is based on the information to date. So I do think that there's probably some development of young players that get truncated because of this idea that we're going to chase every data point.
0: Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM at and radio.com Red Sox will wrap up the first half of this season against the Oakland A's. It would be nice to get a three-game sweep at Fenway. And then, Buster, it's on to the All-Star break. You're going to be on Seattle. I'm very, very jealous of you. The uh, home run derby <laughs> field got finalized yesterday. I got to say, and I don't have the research here in front of me either, but – there are seven right-handed hitters in the home run derby, and then there's Adley Rutschman, who's a switch hitter, who said he may take some right-handed swings. I can never remember in all-one-handedness derby field.
1: No, I can't either. There are typically, there's a mix, uh, and it'll be interesting. You probably know better than I do about, you know, how does the, what does that mean in T-Mobile Park, and, and does that mean that uh, if Adley winds up hitting left-handed, and that's where I think he's going to wind up landing, you know, does that give him an advantage? Um, I, I'm fascinated by this field because of some of the the interpersonal stuff between the players. Uh, for example, we have a first round matchup between Adolis Garcia of uh, oh, the of Rangers, the Texas yeah. Rangers, and Randy Rania, who both came up in the Cardinals organization. They both came from Cuba. They have, uh, you know, they were roommates when they were minor leaguers. Hmm. There's going to be some. Serious smack talking between those two guys in this thing. That's going to be a lot of fun. Pete Alonso and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had an, an epic showdown in 2019 when they were in the Derby before. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I'm wondering about Mookie Betts. And, you know, is he sandbagging everybody by telling them, you know, well, I don't really want to do the Derby. You and I both know he's such a phenomenal athlete. Maybe Clayton McCullough, his BP pitcher, will will be able to consistently group pitches right where Mookie wants them, and he'll shock <laughs> the world because he's the one lightweight in all in this uh, field that's mostly comprised of heavyweights. There's some great uh, stories, I think, with these
0: guys. You know, it's it's. I love the Derby. I've always loved the Derby, and that's too. obvious because I'm a baseball fan. But we look at other sports and their all-star challenges, right? The dunk contest is is way not the same as it used to be. Why is it that the Derby has kind of been able to remain timeless and has been able to still attract big stars and is still a major draw in the way that some of those other all-star events aren't?
1: Well, and I give some credit to the players, the stars themselves,
0: right? Yeah, I would too, yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. Vladimir, Guerrero, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a star. And so for him to do it now a second time tells you that, you know, he likes the event. It's fun. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it's right in the alley of what he's trying to do, but he's actually doing it. Pete Alonso, you know, since he debuted in 2019 is more homers than anybody else in baseball, more homers than uh, Aaron judge, more homers than Shohei Otani. But the first time I met Pete and talked to him about the derby, he's like, I'll always do the derby. Like, mm-hmm. I love the Derby. He said, you know, when I was a kid, I thought that was a fun event. And how great is it that baseball gets that as opposed to, and I think Mookie Betts has had a quote along these lines, as opposed to, say, you know, LeBron James, who doesn't do the dunk contest. Yeah, The NBA could use those guys in that event. Baseball's been fortunate in that every year they manage to have stars in the Derby. And it's part of the reason why, you know, there's a chance That's, uh, not only, you know, could this be the, the highest rated, uh, ESPN baseball, uh, related content of the summertime. But it also might come close to beating the All-Star game for ratings, which, as you know, that would be remarkable.
0: You mentioned Aaron Judge, and you've been on this from the beginning, right? He was on the 10-day IL. People thought it was going to be about 10 days. You said, ah, be careful with that. I, They'll be lucky if he plays for the All-Star break. Well, now there's even a thought that maybe Judge could miss the entirety of the season here for the Yankees. What's going on?
1: So I had Brian Cashman, the Yankee general manager, on my podcast yesterday and what he told me was is that you know internally there are some really positive signs they think he's improving but as I told you you know weeks ago it is a really touchy injury for a guy six foot seven 282 pounds and they have to be careful because they know this if he has a major setback that's it he's not going to come back for the season after hearing Brian talk about this yesterday I walked away saying you know what they actually think that they have a real chance to get him back Um, and and not necessarily soon. I I think they'd be thrilled if he played sometime in July, but they are seeing him take strides forward. Judge told reporters the other day that, you know, if he were to try to come back now, he'd be running at about 10%. That's not going to help anybody, Uh, you know, but for the Yankees to get the potential getting Judge back, Carlos Rodon, you know, Harrison Bader's in the lineup. I do think they'll make some additions before the trade deadline. I think there, uh, you know, there's a chance it's going to be a better team as we get to get into late in the year.
0: Finally, Shohei Otani left his start the other day with that cracked fingernail. It looks like, knock on wood, that he's going to be okay, but Mike Trout isn't okay. He's out for, anywhere between four and eight weeks with this handmade fracture. I mean, Yu Chang did this for the Red Sox, and he's still not back yet. I think he did it at the end of April or very early in May, so it's certainly been a while for Chang to recover from this injury. How does this affect what the Angels do as they've fallen pretty drastically in the standings over the last week?
1: In spring training, Artie Moreno, the Angels owner, said that as long as the Angels were competing, he was not going to trade Trout. And they are competing. Like, they're in the American League wildcard race. They're behind, and they have ground to make up, but they're certainly within range. Uh, but I got to tell you this. My instinct is is that even if they fall further out uh, and away from the AL wildcard teams like the Yankees and the Houston Astros, I don't know if Artie Moreno has the guts to make that trade. Because you know and I know when you have a potential free agent like this, there's always talk that, yeah, the team could trade him and get value and then re-sign the player. That almost never happens. It happened with the Chapman in 2016. Yankee traded him to Cubs and then re-signed him in the offseason that followed that. But most of the time it slams the door on the player coming back. Uh, it, you, it, you can make a strong baseball case that it would be smart to put him out in the marketplace and see what kind of offers you get from teams like the Yankees. But <laughs> I just, Artie Moreno, to, to be uh, essentially communicating to his fan base that they might be prepared to move on from Otani, that, that would take a lot of guts. And I will tell you this, last year, the, the Angels front office, in doing its due, due diligence, prepared trade scenarios involving Otani and did some early exploration on it, and then it was presented to Artie. And from what I understand, he went crazy. Like, he was mad. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you entertaining this idea? And keep in mind, too, they also have these sponsorship deals that are tied to Otani. So my instinct is is that they will keep him through the rest of the year and try to re-sign him as a free agent.
0: Buster Olney, ESPN MLB insider, is going to be out at All-Star Week next week in Seattle. So is the uh, Derby's on Monday night on ESPN, and then Tuesday is the game as well. A lot of other good stuff around All-Star Week as well, with Futures game and the draft, et cetera. Buster, I am on vacation next week, so we will catch up again in two weeks. I hope you have a great All-Star Week, and we'll talk to you uh, in two weeks.
1: Have a great vacation, Brady.